The Greenwood and Mulliner Show is proudly sponsored by Casa San Lorenzo Gosforth, the best Italian cuisine in the Northeast. Reserve a table today on 0191213 or visit casasanlorenzo.co.uk. Newcastle Fans TV. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Green and Roller Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Proudly sponsored, as you've just heard, by Casa San Lorenzo. It's on mm. our first sponsored, Sam. You must be absolutely over the moon with this. I love Italian food. I love Italy. I love pasta. I love everything Italian. Italian is my favourite cuisine. I went to, on our, uh, my honeymoon to, to Italy I love Italian food. So, yeah, Casa San Lorenzo in Gosworth. Yes, please. I mean, go and go and get the polo, polo chicken, garlic and herb roast potatoes. Thank me later. Fantastic stuff. What a plug, what a plug by Mr. Muller. I, I think actually, Sam, before we talk about our guest, Aaron Hamilton, how many Italian Newcastle players can you name? Because I can think of Davide Santon, Alessandro Pistone, and that's about it. Oh, Tell me more. You've, you've, nicked, more. You, you've nicked my thunder with Pistone. Um, how many other Italians has there been? Um, go on, producer Lee. Speak up. He's in the background as we're in our studio recording. That's what you're trying to tell me, Lee. You're trying to Zambrero? Yeah, that's who I was trying to think of, Zambera. Um, he didn't. Zambia. I don't think he made a senior. He, he, he didn't make a senior appearance, though, did he? Um, no. Santo Pistone. Barreca never made an appearance. Did what? Did he? Oh, Tottenham. Oh yes, yes. That that magical loan deal. Yes, Barreca. Yes, 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 yes. One one appearance, and it was at Wembley Stadium against Spurs. <laughs> That's the way to do it, isn't it? But yeah. Um, maybe there might be more Italians now, now that we're sponsored by uh, a lovely Italian eatery. Yes, we are. We're, we're two minutes into this intro. We haven't even mentioned properly our guest today, Aaron Embleton. Now, she is probably, well, she is the first player from the Northeast to represent the England Lionesses. And what a week it was a few weeks ago for England and the Lionesses. European champions, Mr. Mulner. What an achievement. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. You know us. We we love, we champion women's sport and women's football. Simply incredible um, what a tournament England had. And they were head and shoulders above the rest in the end. 8-0 against Norway. It was just, wow, 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 wow. So, yeah, the the actual scenes. But, I mean, it does make you, when you see celebrations of of England winning a trophy, you do look wistfully on and think, oh, what's it going to be like when Newcastle finally win a trophy again? It does make you wonder. Just a couple of times a day, a couple of times an hour, a couple of times a minute. Um, but, yeah, you are absolutely right, Sam. You, you, just, you just can't wait for that moment where Newcastle United do win a trophy, you know, any sort of trophy, you know, meaningful trophy in Newcastle United, God, the streets will be out. Everybody will be out. It'll be I'd have to take two weeks break. off work minimum. Minimum, yeah, 100%. 100%. 
100% of the interest to see what happens there. Um, but Aaron was absolutely brilliant. Brilliant value actually recording this intro after we've done the episode. And she knows her stuff, Sam. She very mm. much knows her stuff. And yeah. she was very complimentary towards our manager at the helm, Mr. Howe. Yeah, uh, well, as well you would be, wouldn't you? He's done an amazing job so far, um, unless you're listening to this and we've lost our first two games of the season. Um, but, you know, um, stayed up at a canter. But yeah, Aaron Aaron Embleton first called up to the Lionesses squad at 14 years of age. Simply incredible. Um, as you say there, first woman from the northeast to get called up and represent a country, and and my God, she knows her stuff. She was a winger back in the day, so she uh, she loves ASM and she bleeds black and white. There's no doubt about that. As you will come to hear, really good episode. This really enjoyable, um, and then and then the timing's obviously great as well as as Johnny alluded to. So yeah, uh, hope you enjoy this one as as much as we did doing it because. It's really good. She knows her stuff. Great guest. Yeah, very much so. So sit back and relax because I think it's time for another Green and Milner show. It is episode 106, Samuel. Yeah. 106. Get in. What a guest we've got. It is the Green and Milner show with Aaron Embleton. Garlic and her potatoes. Castle San Lorenzo. The Greenwood and Milner show on Newcastle Fans TV. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the Greenwood and Mullen Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Today, me and Sam are joined by a former lioness. And I'll tell you what, she must be on cloud nine after the summer England have just had. So it's a big welcome to Aaron Embleton. Aaron, welcome to the Greenwood and Mullen Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Hiya. You all right? Thanks for having us. No, Aaron, it's a pleasure having you on. I think the first question has to be, have you stopped drinking yet? Because it has been celebrations galore <laughs> since the evening as England beat Germany 2-1 as we record wow. since that fantastic event. I've had a, I've had a bit of a bad head, I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> it was just un, absolutely unreal. Um, it's been such a long journey um, to get to that point and to see them girls like achieve what they've achieved is just unreal from start to finish, from the first game to where they were outperforming and eight goals here and five there, it was just unreal. Like, they were, I felt after I seen them the second game, I thought that these girls can actually go on and win this. Like, that's the first time I felt it properly where I was like, they've got a good, very good chance this time. Um, and they came up trumps in the end, absolutely. Didn't they just? I mean, it's absolutely incredible, and yeah. you can see that the confidence in the squad growing and growing throughout the tournament. But a lot's being made about Serena Viegman, obviously. And I've got to be honest: when she first took over, she frightened me a little bit. I thought <laughs> she, she, I thought she was quite an intimidating figure, having yeah. admittedly not knowing a great deal about her. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think she's brought to the team? Because apparently, she's lovely. Yeah, she does come across like that. I got that um, sense as well. Um, I think it for me, as I've watched uh, interviews, what she's said, I think it's been a lot down to psychology. Um, she seems to have given them a lot of information in regards to saying to them, look, you know, 
think about the little girls in the stand um, to, to be inspired to think of what could be if we're going to achieve this. And I think when you start to put things like that in people's heads and like for me personally, like my dad was very similar to that. And he, he kind of, he was all about inspiring and he, he would get in my head a lot before games and things like that. And, and it, it does because it's emotion. It's your emotion. You do feel like for them, them girls, they were thinking about all them little girls and them stands watching, thinking, you know, they could go on here and this could really blow up where the schools can, you know, get massively involved. The FA will pile more money in. Like it changes the whole face of women's football. And I think that's exactly what she's done. I don't think there was as much, don't get us wrong. There is a lot of, you know, work goes on in the background, tactical stuff, meetings, as you do training phases of play, that all happens. But if you were saying to me, what was the difference between her and all the other managers, Hope, Powell, the lot, you can put them all together. I think she she got it, she got into their heads. I really do think that it, it worked. You could see it, the, the pride on their faces. They wanted it badly. I don't want to mention Liverpool managers too often on this podcast because Sam doesn't really like Liverpool. But there's a, there's a famous sentence that Jürgen Klopp used when he first arrived at Anfield. And he says, we need to change the players' attitudes from doubters to believers. I think that's what Serena's done, hasn't she? Yeah, she did. She instilled belief in them. Um, I think of all the years that we've come up against the likes of Germany, um, Sweden, Norway, even like obviously we're absolutely eight nil against Norway. But previous to that, Norway was a, one of them. It's a nemesis. Like they would beat with two, two, three nil. They were always physically bigger than us. Like you always felt when you went into the game at times that you, you know, you were slightly afraid. You were a bit intimidated because they were a lot higher ranked than we were. Um, and I feel like yeah, absolutely because they're they're so talented now. And the grassroots have got, you know, they've pumped the money into it. Um, there's been a lot more girls involved now. I think she, you're right. Yeah, she absolutely did. She instilled belief and they went out there and they were thinking, we can win this. And I think it was probably after about the second game, I, I could say that. Yeah, that, that Norway game. I mean, for the, for the casual fan, you hear like Norway are supposed to be good. And then what was it? Was it five or six at half time? That's exactly it. It was unbelievable. Um, you're right. Like people were saying, you know, Norway is great, and they always have been great. Norway, they've like I say, they've always been a. It's been a good game against them. It's never been a game where we've absolutely, you know, it was just unreal, unreal. I think one moment for me that stood out was when Spain actually scored to take the lead. Uh-huh. And I think we've seen with men's and women's England teams in the past that there's a moment you go, oh, no, oh, no, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But yeah. the resilience that the Lioness has shown in that particular game, I think was absolutely superb. And I think we have to mention Georgia Stanley, that fantastic finish in extra time. It's something about the Northeast. I think it's just something about the Northeast. These lasses, they're just a little bit tougher up north. Uh, I can imagine when you see Georgia put that ball in the back net, do you kind of almost think it could have been you, Aaron, if you were born maybe a couple of years later? Because the way that the growth of women's football has gone, especially in the last couple of years, I know Sky's taken over the rights of the WSL and they've seen like take from there to there. It's huge. Uh 
you also look and envy in the smallest possible way uh, with what Georgia did the other day. I thought, like, absolutely outstanding. Like, she picked the ball up in the midfield and she ran with it. And she almost, her body angle was more to the right um, and very well disguised the fact she was going to shoot. Um, and then she just absolutely, like, hit that ball. It was like a rocket. Um, and I, I could see when she hit it, though, it looked like it was, it was, it was, it literally went flying, didn't it? Went straight to the back of the net. Um, but yeah, it, of course, like anything, I'm so happy for the girls. Um, but I'm, I was in the era before and I'm, I'm pleased for how it is now. Um, I was one of those girls that, you know, was a little spelt playing on the grass with it, with the lads in the street. I was kind of, I was fortunate because a lot of the lads like came to, to knock on the door every night for us to come out and play. Like I was one of the lads. I wasn't just like one of the girls. I was always first picked in the teams where, you know, you sort your own teams out and things like that. Like I was dead fortunate that like out the treaders, like I was one of the friends. I wasn't a, just a girl. Um, but yeah, like absolutely amazing. Like, Goal after goal, even the the final goal, um, with um, Tune the chip over the keeper, like a keeper composure. Bearing in mind, these girls have really like what was maybe one game before that had quite a big high crowd, but previous to that, they've never played in front of a crowd that big of eighty what eighty seven thousand people, and yeah. um, keep a composure, knowing fine well you're in a a European Cup final. Um, and she managed to chip the keeper like she did. Was just fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, you really do feel now that this is the start of a revolution or the start of something really, really special for for the game. But going back to when you were starting out at, at Blythe, and then you know you more or less have to go to Sunderland because Newcastle's women's team was nigh on non-existent. Um, as a childhood Toon fan, I can imagine that's annoying. But um, what kind of struggles did did you face? I know you said that the lads you were friends with still came and called for you out to play on on the field or whatever. But when you're on a, a Saturday or Sunday league or whatever, what struggles did you face growing up? Um, I mean, I was obviously, and I, I am black and white through and through. Um, so when we I was at a club called Cowgate Kestrels at the time. Um, and you would get you would get people coming along the side of the pitch and, you know, you would get a little bit of abuse and people taking the mick and things like that because you were a girl um, watching girls football. Um, and I, f- I just feel now, like, it's literally catapulted because of this. It's gone. It, this has probably advanced this by quite a few years from what's going to happen on the back of this. Um, but yeah, you, you know, like anything, you have your, your struggles. Like you play in a sport that was primarily dominated male, um, and I get that. But like I say, I was kind of, I was quite fortunate with the lads. Apart from like I say, the Mickey taking and. I, when I played at Blythe, because we then went from Cowgate Kestrels and merged with Blythe Spartans and played at Croft Park. Um, a very similar scenario where we would be playing and, you know, the lads would be at the put in the clubhouse and come out and watch and laugh and joke and point and things like that. Um, I feel like that's 
completely changed. Like I was gobsmacked, like comments I've read online, um, the amount of people has been turning up at the, the games and the amount of men that's been really interested in it. Um, it's completely transformed. Absolutely. It, it really, really has. And about time, let's be honest, I think me and Sam will both agree. I think everybody will agree about time that it has, it has done that. I think it, it it's a shame, really, because it should never have been like that in the first place. But yeah. I suppose that's one thing that we've learned over time is that, you know, anybody can do this, you know, regardless yeah. of, you know, what gender or sex you are or religion, etc. We've, we've, been, we've been jumping on the bandwagon with that uh, TV the last couple of years because um, we've been covering the Newcastle United women's team for a couple of years now. And you've seen how Becky Langley, in particular the manager, how she treats it, and she treats it very, very seriously, like incredibly seriously. And that just and that must put a smile to people's faces because she wants to get the WSL as soon as possible. And that's just shows where Newcastle United can go. I'm sure you can't wait to see that happen one day. Oh, 100%. Like, you know, it wasn't that long ago that I've seen the first women's game at St. James's Park against Danik. Um, and the smile on my face when I seen it, it was a po- just a post came up on my face on my Facebook, and it said, um, "Obviously, this game was going ahead." And I looked and I looked again, and I was like, "Wow!" Like St James's Park for the women, like this is unreal. And I messaged a couple of my friends and went, "Have you seen this?" Like, like I, I say, since the new owners have took over, like they're massively into promoting the women's football and they want the women involved and. They're trying to do that in the background. It's clear to see. And then that game was announced, and I was like, "Wow, like this is amazing. This is this is what I've called wanted change and called change for a long time." Um, and that was well before the Euros. They were putting that into place, which is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, we were there that day. We were there. It was it was amazing. Over twenty two thousand in attendance for what was essentially a League Two game, and it got more in attendance than Watford Burnley the day before in the Premier League. So it just goes to show the Geordie Nation will come out in support of you regardless. And and it was great to see. But how difficult was it for you having to having to play for Sunderland for for so long and and just watching thinking, come on, why can't why can't Newcastle get that together? That's exactly it. Honestly, I was like all the girls, my mum was, my mum, well, my parents were heavily involved. And my mum was a secretary and she tried endless hours getting sponsorship, bringing all companies over the northeast everywhere, approach Newcastle. And, and in the end, it was one of these where it was like the club was about to fold. We didn't have any money to, to get on buses. Um, and Sunderland came forward and, and, and said, we'll give you strips, we'll give you balls, bibs, you name it will kind of give you the lot. And she came to the girls and we had a meeting. And the girls, you know, as you can imagine, they're like all scattered from like all over Newcastle and said, like, we've had a proposal and this is the proposal. Um, and the girls just put their head in their hands and went, I'm not going there. And, and my mom was like, look, you've got two options here. We'll, we'll go there or, you know, we have no football club. Like, it's it's serious now. And the girls were like, well, we're when when Newcastle tops underneath mine. <laughs> so, and I was like, yeah, me too. So we ended up, that's how it ended up going to Sunderland in the end. Um, but no, it's, yeah, I do. 
now, like I say, obviously the Newcastle players and Newcastle women, like like I say, with the owners pushing things and um, obviously getting more exposure. So you're seeing a lot more women's football. Like you, you feel like I feel like oh, I've just missed my time, kind of where it's all coming to a head now, you know. But it's great. Yeah. It's great for the sport. I'm absolutely over the moon um, for those girls. They've they've done absolutely amazing. Well, you're quite right. You're quite right, Aaron. They have done absolutely amazing. Second place, finished, just missing out on promotion by the barest of margins. It has to be said to Liverpool Feds, which I wonder if me and Sam were. I was actually the Tottenham versus Newcastle game, and Sam had always, I think, was watching the women's game and the Newcastle game at the same time, just saying, keep us up to date, keep us up to date. And as soon as they it was 1 1, I was walking down the uh, Seven Sisters Road going, come on, get, 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 get the winner, get the winner, get the winner. But that game of St. James Park, like Sam says, was absolutely incredible. There were 22,000 fans. And I always remember bumping into Steve Harold, who works very, very closely with the, the foundation. And he said, we asked him, well, what do you think? How many fans do you think we're going to get? And he said, somewhere between 12 and 15,000 is what we think we're going to get. So that pretty much doubled the least they thought they were going to get. That's absolutely, it was absolutely incredible. But what do you think the Newcastle women's team need to improve on going forward because yes, they have the owners. Yes, they've probably got, I think, a manager who, again, really, really invested into getting Newcastle higher in the divisions. What do you think they're missing right now? Um, I feel like a lot of it's got to come from grassroots and the, the funding's got to be there, but that's already happening right now. I can see it, like, from what I'm seeing in reading and you know what I mean on, on social media um I just feel like I don't I don't know I, I, it's hard to say what they're actually missing I think it's again I was kind of forced in a sense that when I played for Blythe and Cowgate and Zumberland that they weren't in the in, in the Premiership, which was obviously the WSL now. Um, and I had to make a decision. Um, the England manager called us in and said I was absolutely devastated. I'd played for that club for twelve years, from being, I think it was eleven, yeah, eleven years old when I joined. So I was called in to say, look, you need to be playing Premiership football now. Um, and I had to make a decision. And I was still quite young then, and I came out and. And I said to my dad, like, this is what I've been kind of advised. I need, I'm going to have to leave the club. And and I was thinking, where do I go? And then the closest to here was Doncaster Bells. And they were they, the almighty Doncaster Bells along with Arsenal. So they were winning everything. Those Them two teams dominated at that point. Uh, it was either who was going to win the league out of both of them. Um, and I did. I, I left... Um, Sunderland, a lot of my teammates at the time, as you can imagine, what were like one of them didn't speak to us for ages. I was like, and I said, You've got to understand, I've got to leave. And like for this reason, I'm not leaving because I want to, I'm leaving because I've got to, I've got to pursue my career. Um, and I did. I, I left to go to Doncaster Bells at that time. Um, but as for Newcastle and times have, are so different now, it is so, so different that. I feel it it really is coming from grassroots and plowing the money in to bring the kids through, you know, and then get them to, you know, the ability, you know, that it'll get better and better as the years goes on. And it, I don't even think it'll be the years now because it's obviously everything's fast forward a bit. Um, yeah, no. Well, definitely. it's great to see. It's great, absolutely great to see that Newcastle are kind of 
are there that that, that thought, like I like I say I was absolutely proud of bits when I seen about that game. Like I was I've always been a, a dream of mine as a kid. Um playing at St James's Park was the only ground and I used to think when the, the England games were announced and the squad was announced and and I would be like, where we're playing. And every time in my head, I just wanted to see St. James's Park on that itinerary from the FA. I really did. And when it wasn't, it was every time it was like, not this time. Um, <laughs> it was Stoke. It was the Reebok. It was all over, but St. James's was Glamorous. Say that again, sorry. Glamorous. Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. Amazing for them lasses. Yeah, can you do it on a Tuesday night in Stoke? Well, <laughs> where 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 were you when you first got the call that you're going to be called up to the England squad for the first time? How did that conversation go? How did you find out? So, I was I was only believe it or not, I was only 14 years old. So they had no at that point, that particular point, they had no England under 18s. They only had a senior team. There was no reserves England. There was nothing. There was literally a senior women's England team and I was there was a manager back then called Ted Copeland and he was from up here he was from I think Pontyland way um and one of my managers um one of coaches and close family members was uh, Pauline Goodart she was from Chesley Street Ladies she managed them at the time um but she would come and watch our games because Chesley Street at the time weren't in the league, same leagues as us. They were a lot lower. They were like league say, you know, down league three or whatever. We were were up there when they were say Champions League. Head, it's not Champions League, head Championship. So she contacted Ted Copeland to come say if she, he would come and take a look at us um, because he lived up here anyway and he was the England manager, but primarily he was always down in Bisham Abbey. And he... He came to look at us at a um, at the police headquarters at Pontyland. There was a Coca Cola tournament on, and Shaka Hislop was presenting the the medals and things like that. Um, and he came along to watch. Um, unbeknown to me, in the background, he was had been standing with Pauline at the time and stuff. And this was just like a small, well, I say a small tournament, but it was you know like a kids' tournament as such. Um, and I. My dad had said, oh, Pauline's been standing with Ted. And I was like, what did he say? What did he say? And he was like, well, he's he's quite impressed with you. He's quite impressed with you. And, and not a lot more was said. And then two weeks later, I went past and I got this, like, pink itinerary come through. Letterheaded, obviously, from, from the FA. And, you know, um, would you... Um, you're invited to a training session um, at Bishop Abbey. And it had the itinerary for the week. And I was like, my mouth just dropped, as you can imagine. I'm a kid, I'm 14 year old, and I'm from the Northeast, and no one in the Northeast had ever been played for England. I was like, yeah, oh my God, and jumping up and down. And I was like, I'm going to. The first thing I thought was, they're all women. Like, I'm just a kid. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I had been performing well for Blythe at the time. I had been scoring a lot of goals and. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I went, I went down, and then a lot of them were a lot older than me. There was like Debbie Bampton, Kaz Walker, a lot of the like um, old superheroes that's got like well over a hundred caps and stuff. And there was me with me little shorts and t-shirt on that was twenty times too big, turning up, getting off the bus at Bishop Abbey, um, with me little bag on me back, 
and they're all like fully grown women and that some of them in their late 30, like well early 30s ready to retire some in their 20s like I was the youngest of the youngest and I went in a little bit intimidated as you do and it's like wow that's Debbie Bampton there wow that's Jill Coulthard she had the most women captured 150 odd um, so these were big, iconic players. Although they weren't obviously out in the media a lot and things like that, like the, in women's in the women's world they were. Um, and then I had the training. I was there for a week and and um, spent like the week there and uh, full training session. And then it was about another six months later, and I was invited again. And I was like, I've been picked again. Like, and it kind of went from there. And um, I spent a lot of me time then on traveling because I became like at that point the FA started the first women's academy ever in the country which was Durham Durham um, Hoffel College it was um, and I think they now call it East Durham College um, and they they had invited the like the best players that they thought of that to, to put the money in to develop those individuals um, so I got a letter of invitation for that and I was like 15 at that point and I thought, I've got to go. I've got to, I've got to go and do this. Um, why wouldn't I? It's the FA's academy. It's like, why wouldn't I? So, yeah, I went uh, to Durham. I was there about three years. And we lived in, um, just across from Maiden Castle. Because I used to go and walk over the road and sit on the grass. And at that point, you could just sit there. And a good friend of mine who was a coach, which is Rob Adkin, who was heavily involved in Newcastle. Um, I think he was development manager there. Um, he's retired now, but he was. And I would sit on the, the side watching, and I remember saying to him, um, so who's the next Newcastle star, like, out of these? Because they were, like, they were, they were probably under 18s. And he was, like, that one. And he pointed, and it was Shola Miobi. Um, And I was, like, all right, okay. And I, I used to just go over the road all the time and sit there with me, me little me a little sandwich or whatever and watch them train for hours on end and then walk back over the road to our college for the next oh, day. The, and the young Mackham Slayer. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's fantastic. I was just going to say, Aaron, when what is the point that what were the uh, tips that you took from the more experienced girls when you were, you know, training with, let's be honest, England regulars, like you talk about 150 caps with some of these players here. Yeah, what was the biggest bit of advice you took from them or that you took into your game going into your your career? Um, More so, like, you can achieve anything you want to achieve as long as you want it badly enough. So, and I've always kept that with us throughout me, my career, my life, and what, everything I do, really. I meant that. So, in other words, if you, you know, there's nothing you can't do if you put your mind to it. Like, you can achieve anything. I was up against it, and I was told by a lot of people here, even when I got to around about 17, 18, that, you know, you'll struggle to get picked for England from you're from the northeast. Um, they were all from, at the time it was Croydon, was the big women's team. Um, you had Arsenal, and majority of the England team was based around them teams because they were the, the most successful teams in the UK at the time. Um and that just egged us on even more because it was the fact that I was told that, yeah, I was exceptional and there was no one with ball skills like mine in, in the northeast from women's football. But I thought to myself, 
who's going to stop us? Like, there's, you know, you can say what you like, but there's got to be someone from the northeast can play for for the country, and I'm going to be that person. And I didn't stop until I got there. Um, I had a a full tunnel vision what I was I was always going to do, and that was that. Um, which I did. I just kept on going and going and um, until knocking on the door until they couldn't ignore us from up here, you know. I mean, what was your proudest moment uh, of your career? Was it the England debut, perhaps, or was it was it something else? Um, yeah, I would say so. Um, I would say so. Standing, singing the national anthem, and knowing where I came from was a big thing for me. I'm quite passionate about Newcastle City in general, not just football. Like generally, like I could, I used to get on the train, and when I went to another academy after Durham, I went to Loughborough, and I used to come back on the train and on a Friday night to come home for the weekend before I even the train pulled into Newcastle Station. I would nearly be crying. But I'm not a, an emotional person. But it, it was just because I knew I was home, um, and I've I've always been like that. So yeah, I mean the national anthem was a big thing, and um, just going out and knowing I'd I'd worked and like so hard for all them years. When your friends are going out on the drink, they're going on holiday, they're doing you know what I mean. They're doing the the, the things to do. Everyone goes on the. Yeah. the girls holiday or whatever and the lads holiday and things like that like that was all really sacrificed because I was training 24 7 so it was yeah absolutely it was it, it had to be that it was and get I got um some memorabilia you know from when you you hand over the the flag at the beginning from both teams um like I, I brought some of that I got given some of that stuff and like and I don't know, I was more so proud because I was where I was from and there was no one apart from, I want to say, Doncaster downwards all the way, obviously the rest of the country, but no one up this side was in, like anywhere near it would be being picked. Um, so I, I felt a lot of honour with that, you know. Uh, I think me and Sam agree on this. I think it, we, we've spoken to a couple of the girls' players and the word sacrifice gets mentioned a lot. Uh, we've heard it from... A couple of with Katie Barker being one. I remember she saying that, uh, saying that George Gibson, another. The sacrifices you have to make if you want to get to the very top, or you want to make a career out of this game, mm-hmm. and it's 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 absolutely paramount. Like I like I didn't I didn't take that into account really. I was because I remember speaking to we were speaking to Georgia Sam. Can you remember when she was saying, you know, I'm working so many hours, and we were tra- sometimes we're not trained till like half nine at night to do an hour or an hour and a bit, taking food. As we're going to training, just so we can, you know, get to the very top of the women's game. Can you can you remember that, Sam? Because that was quite an interesting conversation at the time. Yeah, I mean, uh, George Gibson is Newcastle United's number ten. I'm a hell of a player. She she could probably cope in the championship now, um, and wouldn't look out of place. But yeah, when she she's a full time PE teacher as well, and when teaching is hard <laughs> teaching yeah. is hard and long hours you don't just finish at 3 30 or whatever and then going out to train and whatnot i suppose mm-hmm. that's the difference aaron isn't it and to being a, a proper winner yeah it is you've got it it's the you've got to have the dedication you really do um and like i say i was quite fortunate that 
Like I was very, very like mentally t- tunnel dri- driven what I wanted. I had a goal and I'm still like that now with day to day life work and everything. Want to, you know, put a challenge in front of us and I, I'm going to try and smash that challenge. Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, you do, you, you, you do sacrifice a lot, you know, you know, you're getting up five in the morning. I was doing weights. Um, I was kind of the, the spelk in the team. Um, that was the skinny one, little. I was always the littlest, um, very skillful, very little, and I was trying to bulk up a little bit and things like that. So I had to do that a little bit extra for gym-wise and stuff to keep keep myself bulked up, you know. So obviously when, when you're in an England squad, you're playing with some proper, proper players. Um, mm-hmm. Who were the one or two perhaps where you're, you're on the pitch or the training ground or whatever? watching them and going, Whoa, you're different class. Who 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 are the ones you're looking at looking up to? Kelly Smith. She was um she was it wasn't so much training. Kelly was very, quite quiet in training as in like, you know, she would not take it easy, but it, it was kinda she didn't stand out. You put her in a game and she just transformed the game like just unreal like with a ball at her feet she they had she had the physicality as well to compete um and yeah she would just pull shots out the bag like you've not seen and um go around three or four people and then curl a ball in the top corner and you'd be like standing there going what um <laughs> and obviously she did go to america she went to play at um philadelphia charge for quite a few years there um and came she was flying back for games so when we were called up like she would fly in from america for the for the training and things like that um but yeah absolutely kelly smith was the one and sue smith who currently is um as you'll know you'll see her on sky sports quite a lot at the moment um sue smith i played with for a long time um even with County, we were played against each other. She played for Tranmere at the time. I played for for um, Blythe Spartans, um, and then later on, I was Doncaster Bells. And I think I can't remember where she ended up. She went to a few clubs, Everton, I think. Yeah. Um, and again, she was like, well, very similar players, and um, she would she was a winger. I was a winger. We're kind of keep competing for the same sort of place, to be fair, but. Um, yeah, she would go past two or three people again, left footer, um, cut inside the box and then curl it in in the top corner or, you know, pass it through and split the defence. She was a game changer sort of player that when she had the ball at her feet, a bit like Maxi, that you didn't know what was going to happen. Um, I don't, she never knew, knew most of the time she had the ball and you thought, what are you going to do next? And then she would just pull something out the bag and you were like, what? So yeah, it had to be them too, really. I actually met Sue Smith when I was at university, and she was so passionate. You can see on the television now; she was so passionate about the women's game and about how it can do so so much more. And it just needed that acceleration, which we mentioned at the start. But you've mentioned Sam's mentioned at the very start. You're a massive Newcastle United fan, which is brilliant news because we can't have some of the fans on here. Well, no, definitely not. Definitely, definitely not. No, we've had Tom White on, but he's an exception. He's a nice bloke. But um, yeah. we have to talk about the start of the season on the horizon as we record. Nottingham Forest on Saturday. A former guest, I think he know, said that Eddie Howe is not a very good manager. Uh, I think Sam might know who I'm on about here as well. 
Uh, oh, Ant, stand up yeah, extraordinaire, Ant Young. Yes, yes, yes. He oh, does oh yeah, Ant. Yeah, he he said on this show a while ago that he doesn't rate Eddie Howe, and that's been clipped oh. up by his friends and shared to a lot of WhatsApp groups. I think I'm going to have to have a word with him to be fair, because I cut. You know, Eddie Howe's come in. He's a young manager, and. I mean, what can you say? He's took from a, a position where, when, you know, people had rope off, were getting relegated. Like, I was arguing with the lads at work on t- on teams every day, obviously in the middle of COVID and all, you know, the position we were in the Premier League when he had bot- the bottom. He's a lead supporter and he's opinionated and I'm a bit like that about football. So I'm jumping in going, definitely not, don't write off yet. And deep down, actually, in my heart, I thought, like, this isn't looking good. This is not re- not looking good at all. And then to turn it round, yes, I understand we had, you know, we had a lot of we had money to back with then. They came in at the perfect time, ploughed the money in to help with, yes, but still, you know, majority of them players were still the same players. Um, difference again, I think, you know, it was team morale. It needed, they needed a bit of a, an arm around them and, you know, a bit of TLC management. Um, and the, the whole Joe Linton from centre forward to putting him in the midfield, that was just genius. Like genius. He's he's a major player for a now beforehand and a lot of people had rolled him off. Yeah. It was yeah, it, it, we, and we stayed up at a canter. It was mm-hmm. it was it was easy in the end, wasn't it, after giving mm-hmm. everyone a four month head start. But being a, a wingy yourself, Aaron, do they get most of your attention now? You St. Maximins of this world, Almiron's Frasers, are those the players you kind of analyse a bit? Or yeah. are you all just like swooning over Bruno like the rest of us? <laughs> no, I'm not actually. Don't get us wrong. I think Bruno's great. Um, I really do. He's a playmaker and he will. He's one of them. He's a, He's strong on the ball. He's He can split a defence with a pass. Um, outstanding that way, but it, totally different players like Maxi. Like, I watch him and honestly, like... I watched and I just go like he is class and I knew them the first time I seen him I was like that kid's gonna be good like and I mean really good um I says I'm at that point we didn't have you know we we weren't very we're near bottom of the league we didn't have much money nothing was changing and I said uh, like one of my family I was like we'll not keep him very long I went he'll not stay at Newcastle I went because he's he's so talented that will will end up selling them on and um, make a profit and he'll go to a big club, Chelsea or Manuel come in from straight away and want him. Um now I think that's changed because of how how everything's turning out. So like, you know, Ronaldo we've got the new owners, the back and the money, like the project they're building, which is outstanding, what we've always wanted. I think we've got a much better chance of keeping a hold of him, but definitely he's the sort of player I look at straight away. I look at you like yeah, Gazas, yeah, your Maxis, yeah, the people that's got skill, your bird camps, like something that can do something out of nothing. He gets you on the edge of the edge of your seat straight away, which is the one thing I like when I'm watching Newcastle. Like Ben Arthur gave me that, Robert gave me that back in the day as well. So I'm certainly a big fan of Maxi. But where do you think Newcastle needs to strengthen, Aaron? Because as you can imagine, with the transfer window, it's been absolutely unbelievable so far in terms of the amount of names that Newcastle have been linked with. But who yeah. do you like to see in what position would you like to see improve? Um, we definitely need another winger, 100%. Yeah. 
Um, we definitely need another winger. And we need another centre-forward, desperately and all. Um, I just worry in case Wilson gets injured. And I mean, to be fair, like, we brought in a new forward, didn't win. Um, it's done all right, but we need someone. We need stronger. We need something stronger in there. Um, but no, like, I think once we... We could get those two. I know there's been a lot of talk. I've been keeping an eye on the, the media in the last couple of days about um, we're looking at Britain possibly bringing a, a midfielder in. And I was a bit sceptical because I was like, I'd, yeah, further down the line, but right now priority is a winger and a forward. So I'm hoping that they can pull somebody in, someone tricky again, very similar to a maxi style. Um or someone that can, you know, whip some crosses in for Wilson. Um, and again, it's good centre forward. Um, I get we've spent quite, you know, we have spent some money already, and there's only a, there's a budget there for a reason. Um, but we could do with another a good world class striker in there um, to bring with a, to where we need to be to be able to start a challenge that. I definitely think we're, we're top half with the, the ability that we've got right now. Um, adding another two people in those positions, like, it'll just give her that bit more depth to the squad. And I think then we can challenge in the top, possibly in the top six, you know? Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you've just said. <laughs> From start to I mean, finish. In the coming but... years, I think, you know, I've, I've said, and I've, quite often say this in general conversation when people ask us about Newcastle and stuff because they know what I'm like about it and I'm like well I said when the new owners took over I said give us five seasons five mm. I went it would have been a lot quicker but there's there's obviously fair play rules in and how much they're allowed to spend and all that and I went but no I says give five years now I extend it to five I went because we need time each each um the the window opens to be able to bring players into strengthen and strengthen and the likes of Trippier straight away was like a gold bar. Yes, he got injured quite fast and but he seemed to be a, a catalyst in the team to to kind of drive them even when he, he couldn't play. You could see the transformation in that team was just unreal. Like mm. when Eddie came in he did what he needed to do. He had a goal, and the goal was to just keep us in the Premier League. Um, he not only did that, but he he literally got us halfway as well. So it was like, yeah, I think a little bit more depth in a, a winger and a forward, and I think we'll be in good contentions to, to you know to be in the top six. I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm keen to know your thoughts about Miggy Almiron because he's had a brilliant preseason. He's showing mm-hmm. some great form this preseason, but he's never really done it consistently in the Premier League. And it's mm-hmm. it's getting to the point now where you have to either think about selling him or offering him an, a new contract. So yeah. where where do you stand? Um, Almiron is a bit of a a wild card, and I say that in the sense that like he has got a bit of trickery about him, and you can see that you can see his ability. I think. Uh, his only downfall is he's he's not he's he's not physical enough. He gets pushed off the ball very easily, and his final ball. If he could sort that final ball out from the games I've watched, he has had a great you know the friendlies. He's been really good, um, but his final ball needs to be better. Um, even he's shooting sometimes. I you know I see him take a shot and and like there's no power there, and a trick the keeper just catches it straight, and you're like. 
hit it, hit the ball, you know. <laughs> I'm like, kick it. Um, but yeah, like I'm a bit on the fence still, Ma, Ma, with Almiron. I really thought, well, I didn't know that he, whether he was going to still be here at this transfer window because I don't know if he's gave us what we've, what we've wanted yet. Do you know what I mean? I don't think we've seen the best of him. I still think there's a lot to come from him. I just don't know if he's settled in the UK, like with how physical it is in the Premier League. I, I don't know if that's been the issue. I think that's a really fair point, actually, because I think people forget about the fact that it is completely different leagues that like he's been in America and so he's come to, come to the UK. And I know it's, he's been here a couple of years now, but I think it still takes a little bit of time. But just finally, Aaron, where will women's football be in 10 years' time? In 10 years' time, from Sunday's game um, and how I think that, provided it continues the way it is, um, I think it'll be a whole different world, a whole different world, like um, similar to America, um, where you've got women's billboards everywhere and, you know, like there's a lot more playing and um, it'll be televised every game. And I feel like the, the audience will be a lot bigger. Um, they'll be playing in much bigger stadiums. Um, so I think they'll probably be the same as the men by then. Probably not still, um, as I still think there's a lot of work needs to be done in the background. But I do think it will be a lot bigger than it is now. Definitely with our own stadiums and things like that. That's the dream plan, isn't it? Well, I'm hoping anyway. England World Cup winners, Newcastle in the WSL. Job done. (laughs) That sounds like perfection. It sounds like perfection. Hopefully that does happen one day, and I'm sure we'll all be there at St. James's Park when Newcastle do get into the WSL, because that will be a fantastic achievement by everybody concerned. Aaron, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. It's been brilliant to talk all things Lionesses, your career, and Newcastle United. It's just been a nice, positive episode which we absolutely love so thank you so much oh you're welcome and thank you for having us it's been great yeah thoroughly enjoyed it sam where can everybody listen to this podcast links in the description as always and the audio part is released every tuesday fantastic stuff so from myself jonathan greenwood sam milner and our guest today aaron endleton we'll see you all very soon Newcastle Fans TV. The Greenwood and Mulliner Show is proudly sponsored by Casa San Lorenzo Gosforth, the best Italian cuisine in the northeast. Reserve a table today on 0191 213 0399 or visit casasanlorenzo.co.uk.